Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome everybody to another amazing day here on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Your source for Kentucky politics. Hopefully you're staying warm. I know it's cold out there. Uh, makes your nose get a little little cold on the top out there. I know it does. Hopefully you're able to stay warm and you found something to do with the kiddos since almost all of our schools are out today. But never fear, Andrew Cooperwriter still here, old reliable, to give you the rundown of the news of the day, the news you won't hear anywhere else, the commentary and takes you just don't get anywhere else. As always, if you want to reach out to the show, feel free to email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. Well, we're starting to really get into the full swing of things with the legislature. They've had some initial committee hearings. They've taken some actions on bills and committees, and now we're starting to see them come forward to the floor. And we're starting to see some bills showing up on the orders of the day. Now you can go on to LRC's website and see the orders of the day. And what that is, is the bills that they are listing that have, uh, that most likely are going to be called to be voted on by the body as a whole the next time they hold session. Now over in the house, they're not quite as busy as the Senate yet, but they've got one bill on their orders of the day. And that is house bill 88. Well, what does House Bill 88 do? I mean, it's their only bill they have on the orders of the day. It must be pretty important when the first bills to pass the House. Well, what House Bill 88 does, it's aimed at tamping down non-financial institutions from using words that imply they are a financial institution. Words like bank, banking, trust, etc. Uh, unless, of course, they fall into the right category. Now, uh, I've read through the law and, you know, as you all know, I'm not a lawyer, but I am a, a person who can read. I've written laws that have become uh, are bills that have became laws. I've wrote amendments that have been adopted and I certainly have went through many of bills. And I can tell you that this is not something that I'd necessarily, you know, die in a hill, tell you to call your legislators and tell them to vote no on necessarily. But I do have questions about, you know, just kind of why is this so incredibly important? Are we seeing a lot of people falling victim to these kinds of things? Is it blood banks? Are blood banks the problem? Is that it? Are people showing up to blood banks saying, hey, I'm here for money? And they're like, oh, we deal in blood only. Is that confusing people up? Because that will, there, there's nothing in the bill, by the way, to deal with blood banks. Hopefully somebody thinks of that and says, oh, that's right. Blood banks use the word blood and bank. So that would, uh, I guess, according to this bill, seems like that would be against the law. Also trust, um, you know, uh, best trust building, I guess. I, I, I'm unclear. It, it, it's regulating the names you can use in your business. Now, I'm unclear on just how um, far 
they're going to take that as far as if you have trust building supplies, if they're like, okay, trustworthy building that doesn't have trust in it, but this bill does outlaw those things. <coughs> so obviously, uh, it must be pretty important. And I, I think this too is a great example of the growth of government because quite honestly, you know, I don't know how, how many people are falling victim to these things, but you know, we do have a pretty robust civil legal court system, no matter how much the, the, uh, quote unquote, some of the freedom people want to see, not freedom people, not our kinds of people, but quote unquote conservatives that want to see tort reform, which is the greatest check we have on private business, because obviously, uh, a civil liability has been for a long time for most of this country sounding civil liability was what kept private businesses in check. And so certainly when they feel this need, they have this need and desire and they have to, they have to be a part of going ahead and making sure that this is taken care of. Um, they feel strongly about that. Uh, instead of allowing civil work, if somebody is misrepresenting what they do and letting the civil courts work it out, uh, they've decided instead to pass a law on it, just kind of shows this steady creep of government as well. Like I said, I'm not gonna sit here <clears throat> and pretend every single bill that they take care of is awful or horrible. And I'm not going to pretend it's the end of the world. I'm just pointing that out that it's just kind of the ridiculous things government finds itself regulating because they insist on doing everything at all. But that's it for the House. Now, if we move over to the Senate, they have two bills uh, on the orders of day for what is today and two bills for Wednesday, though you may see them, of course, canceling session today. Um, depends on how many people get up there and how bad the roads truly are everywhere. But we do have four bills up there. The first being, um, let's see, Senate Bill uh, 17. Senate Bill 17 is by Senator Matthew Deenan, a Republican who's in his second year as a state senator. Senate Bill 17, it would appear, and again, I, I read these and examine what the laws are changing. So if someone thinks I'm misinterpreting them, let me know. Send me an email once again info at theandrewshow.com if you think I'm getting this wrong. But as I read, Senate Bill 17 would adjust how a coroner does death certificates. So uh, based upon the bill and based upon what the bill is changing, when you look at bills and how they're wrote, uh, you're going to see things bold and then struck out. Anytime you see bold in a bill that's proposed, that is where they are writing new law. And anytime you see striking, that's where they're striking old law. So under this, they're striking a provision of the law that says, <clears throat> when a person dies and they have an unknown cause of death, an investigation ensues, um, you still issue within five days after their death a medical certificate stating that they did die. And then for cause of death, you say under investigation. And then later on, you would file additional paperwork with the state in order to update that death certificate with the proper cause of death after an investigation has been done. So if it's unknown how they died or there needs to be greater investigation, that's what this handles. Well, what this is changing is that when you don't know what the cause of death is, you don't issue a medical certificate of death anymore. Instead, you have to wait till the investigation has been completed. Then at that point, you can now issue a certificate of death here in Kentucky. And that could have a lot of great ramifications. Um, if, if that is the case and, and, the ramifications in place. I mean, you got to think when you're dealing with things like the estate, health insurance, liquidating assets, so on and so forth, as they're investigating the cause of death or as it gets challenged, uh, you can't move forward and do that. Now, I guess the argument back would, well, it'd stop people 
you know, who, who death is questionable. Could they have themselves been the ones to do it right from receiving financial uh, benefits from them having perhaps off somebody? Um, that certainly is an argument and, and granted, it sounds like a good one. That could be what this is addressing. Uh, but it does certainly turn it on its head. Now, the other bill that we have up there, um, we have Senate bill 10. We're going to talk about that after the break. Senate bill 63. Um, that is by Jay Williams. It simply uh, changes the name of the investments and in information technology improvement modernization projects oversight board to the information technology oversight committee, uh, by Jay Williams. It's just shortening the name <clears throat> and I guess it is also making it a part of the legislative committee, though I think it was already a part of the legislative branch. So I think it's just shortening the name. Very uh, important stuff. Now, Senate Bill 24, that's being proposed by a number of people, people that uh, make me think that this is a bad bill. And because this is being pushed forward by those who are coming from the medical industry, doctors and um, hospital administrators. We're talking, of course, about our common, common people who push forward bad legislation when it comes to the people on medical things. That is Senator Meredith and Senator Douglas. And uh, th this is what the bill does, okay? This is how it reads. It says, the Department of Medicaid Services shall administer the state's Medicaid program under a fee-for-service model, Medicaid managed care model, or other Medicaid delivery system model as permitted under federal law. If at any time on or after January 1st, the Department of Medicaid Services chooses to utilize Medicaid managed care model for the administrative part of the state's Medicaid program, the Medicaid services shall not award more than three services, Medicaid services contract to more than three Medicaid provider or other entities seeking to provide Medicaid. Sounds like that uh, when it comes to Medicaid programs that are limiting who can hand it out, we'll be continuing down this road talking about that as well as Senate Bill 10. Very important stuff after this short break. You're listening to the Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky politics. And you are back with the Andrew Kuberider Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Before the break, we were talking about some of the bills proposed in the Senate. Uh, we were talking about the Senate bills, and specifically, we were talking about um, Senate Bill, let's see, 24. Senate Bill 24 proposed by people that makes me very suspicious of the bill seeks to say that if we switch over to a uh, Medicaid program <clears throat> under a fee-for-service model, right? If at any time after January 2025, the Department of Medicaid Services chooses to utilize a Medicaid-managed care model for the administration of any part of the state's Medicaid program, the Department of Medicaid Services shall not award a contract for the delivery of Medicaid services to more than three Medicaid providers three Medicaid institution entities seeking to provide it. Now, let's make this clear. Um, based upon, I, I don't know enough about the entire Medicaid system to sit there and tell you these are all the pitfalls of this bill. Though I can tell you right now, definitely ensuring that you can't have more than three providers of any medical service is a great way of ensuring that there's not a whole lot of competition 
on the marketplace. And based upon who proposed it, it sounds like this is about what's best for the doctors and the hospitals, not about what's best for the citizens of Kentucky. You can tell a lot about a bill based upon who proposed it. And what who proposed it are professionals, quote unquote professionals, from the medical industry whose historically speaking process is to go ahead and make sure that any bills they put forward um, go ahead and attack at some of the basic belief, basic tenets of what's good for the patients. And instead, they tend to go after what's best for the service providers, not what's best for you or your pocketbook, of course. But there's another bill being proposed. Senate Bill 10 has a lot of co-sponsors. Moving to the floor, what would Senate Bill 10 do? Well, Senate Bill 10 would seek to move the constitutional officer's election to the presidential election years. And it would seem that they're seeking to make this move after Bashir's out of office. So uh, the next constitutional officer. So right now our constitutional officers, that includes the governor, technically lieutenant governor, though they run on the same ticket, uh, secretary of state, treasurer, uh, auditor, uh, agriculture commissioner uh, to, to run, uh, attorney general, to run every four years, but they run in an off year. So like last year, for an example, uh, 2023, we were one of only a few states having those statewide elections like that. And what this bill is seeking to do is to move those elections to the presidential election year. Now, I'm going to tell you, you know, you're not going to necessarily agree with everything I have to say. So I'm going to tell you, though, why I actually don't support this. And many people would say, Andrew, why don't this is great? Why don't you support this, uh, this off year election, so on and so forth? And there's a few reasons why. First, uh, especially if they move it to a presidential election year, which I think is what they're angling for here, is to move it to a presidential election year. First, it is very difficult. It's already difficult. Th think about the average citizen, okay? Think about the amount of campaign ads you just got went through for the uh, uh, election in November that was just then. Think about all the, the ads for governor, all the ads for all the statewide offices. Now compound that. You've got presidential elections. You've got uh, uh, potentially Senate seat elections up, congressional elections up. All these races all struggling for the same voters' attention. Voters are very busy people. It's very hard for them to stay informed. A lot of them do rely on these ads and mailers in order to choose who to vote for. So one, when you're talking about candidates having an opportunity to win, what, what gives candidates an opportunity to win, one has to do with inventory. I mean, just frankly speaking, during the 2023 primaries, as many of you know, I ran for state treasurer, came in second out of three. And so during that process, buying ads, the, the ads cost is, is widely based upon availability as well as bought up inventory. And just during the primaries, with just the governor's primary and then the other statewide offices, it was still, the inventory was still at least, especially two, three weeks leading up to the election, very hard to come by. Now imagine you're doing all those races combined with a presidential election year, combined with con congressional races, combined with Senate races. It is information overload. And I think it's how we're going to end up with bad people in office. I do. I do. I think, I think that it's how we do that. Now you'd say, Andrew, we ended up with Bashir in 2023. I mean, what are you talking about? Bad people in office. If we have more people turn out, well, then Republicans may have won. I mean, if this was held on presidential election, your Republicans would have won. And I hear you there. 
And you're 100% right. I will not disagree with you. However, I don't think in the short term, I think in the long term. And I am very much so an individual who takes issue with bills and changing the, the Constitution based upon who's currently in office. If you remember uh, when I was talking about how Matt Lockett had proposed a bill uh, this year in order to extend out the legislative time, the amount of time the legislators could be in session, not the many days, but the date they had to be out by, it would take away and they could stay towards the end of the year. I said, look, the only reason why you're supporting this right now is because you have a Democrat governor and a Republican legislature, and you want the Republicans to be in charge more often. And you should never be making constitutional amendments based upon who is currently in office. If in this last election, it had turned out Republicans had won, do you think this same amendment be being proposed? Do you think it'd be getting action on the floor? I mean, literally changing the constitution based upon who won. I don't like that. I don't like doing that. And like I said, you could be somebody who says, no, it's great. It's great. But I, I think you ask yourself, would you feel so strongly if the outcome of the last elections went the way you wanted it to? <clears throat> and if the answer is no, well, think about what you're doing. Also, at the same time, at the same time, looking at those elections, okay, the same way that we have a Republican legislature with a Democrat governor and you can go into a lot of reasons why people believe, of course, it's fraud. People point at, you know, how did so many Republicans vote for Bashir? I point out the fact that it's not that Republicans voted Bashir, it's that Republicans didn't turn up at all, which is the actual belief that this amendment here would be trying to attack is, is to go ahead and say, hey, look, um, you know, Republicans would have showed up more if it was a presidential election year, and then they would have voted Republican, and we would have had Cameron instead of Bashir. But here's my point. Let's rewind though. Let's rewind to times where we've had a Democrat majority legislature, certainly a Democrat majority House. I mean, pre-1999, it was like always Democrat majority and as long as Republicans exist. After 1999, the Senate was majority Republican, but in the House, it was still majority Democrat up until the, the 2016 elections. So, so looking at that right there, the, the only thing that afforded the few Republican governors to have won, to have won, was the fact they were off-year elections because it becomes about turning people out. And here's the other thing. If you're running lackluster candidates that aren't turning people out, you paid a price for that. You did. And so why should we change the rules to allow to continue Republicans to make the same mistakes? Not the same mistakes, but the Republican establishment to do the same thing run candidates and run campaigns that are lackluster that aren't talking to the people about their issues but instead are putting forward candidates that well quite frankly are not representing the base of people and are therefore not encouraging people to turn out i mean that's that's it the the governor's elections are turnout games and i like that but you would turn the governor's elections to basically being now down ballot down ticket it would be something it'd be like our state house reps where the election is simply based upon, oh, whose name do I know the most? Because I've been paying more attention to the presidential election. And also, it doesn't require anybody to turn people out. Like I said, you don't like the outcome of this last election. Blame that on Bashir's campaign, or Bashir's, blame that on Cameron's campaign management. Blame that on Cameron's team. 
right? Blame that on uh, the inability to stay consistent, to say anything real, to really draw out what would be the difference between a Cameron and a Bashir administration. Blame that on those things. But to blame it on the fact that the election is held on the wrong year is a great way to make a complete and utter excuse for your own shortfallings, for your own misgivings. This also would in inevitably end up with a governor ending up with either one more year in office or one less year in office. But regardless, this will have to be a constitutional change. So this will be, uh, assuming it's passed, it'll be put on the ballot and it will be considered for constitutional change, which brings up another thing, another issue here. Okay. So we've got, I mean, the fact this is getting voted on so early tells me that there's some legs behind this. So we are potentially looking at three constitutional amendments on the ballot on this presidential election year, at least three right now. We're looking at uh, this one, changing the governor's election to the presidential year. And like I said, you can disagree with me. You heard me say why I don't like it. Disagree with me. Send me. I would love to hear your viewpoint on it. Email info at theandrewshow.com. And I will be happy to go through your viewpoints here on the air the next time uh, I'm up here and you've sent those over to me. We're also looking at having a school choice amendment on that ballot, whether that's Josh Calloway's or something else. I mean, if you listen to yesterday's show, I know there wasn't a video version, but if you listen to yesterday's show, you heard me talk about that. Or we could be looking at, um, and we could also be looking at Matt Lockett's constitutional amendment to take away the uh, signing die, to take away the <coughs> end date of legislative session moving forward. And personally, I think that's too many on a ballot. I think that's too many things going on and people are naturally just going to vote no because people already <coughs> don't want to change the constitution. I think that would be real bad for school choice. Coming up after this, we're going to be talking about uh, Herald Leader releases their 24 to watch in 24. We'll be looking at that list and pointing out just how crazy the Herald Leader's far left <laughs> editorial board is. We'll be pointing that out after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooper Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Hey, everybody, you're back with the Andrew Kubrider Show, your source for Kentucky politics and news from a constitutional and conservative viewpoint. Let me tell you guys, I'm the only one out there doing a show like this Monday through Friday for you, focusing right there on Kentucky issues and giving you the breakdowns. You're not hearing this anybody anywhere else, anywhere else. And yet you're getting it here. Speaking of media and news failing at everything, the Herald Leader published 24 to watch in 24. And oh boy, can you see that they have an agenda? They they forgot forgot completely the point of the assignment. If a teacher gave this to them, they'd be getting an F being told you clearly, clearly, clearly have missed the entire point of this. What do I mean by that? Well, the point of a 24 to watch in 24 would imply that they are going to accomplish something. Of, of noteworthy, of, of they're going to accomplish something worth us talking about. That's what it implies. In the year of 2024, not in 2100, you know, not in 2050, not in 2025 even, but in 2024. 
And that's what the Herald leader completely forgot. And what do I mean? Well, obviously they pointed out, you know, <coughs> people actually worth watching in 2024. I mean, uh, you know, they covered things like new university president presidents. I mean, oddly, they left off Ryan Quarles. He would have made the list for me, the new president of the Kentucky uh career technical college system, KCTCS, like the largest college system in Kentucky, uh, one of the biggest colleges, like in the biggest college system in the state, didn't make the list, even though he's new and honestly somebody you'd watch in 2024 to see what happens. But they did list some people that make sense. I mean, obviously they listed, you know, like I said, presidents of university of KSU, Bashir, Cameron, uh, Lee Kiefer, who's chasing an Olympic gold medal in fencing this year. So that would be something to watch. She's from Lexington. I actually went to high school with her. But then they have several choices that are nothing more than wishful thinking. They're nothing more than far-left activists that they wish were actually relevant. And they literally don't, I mean, they didn't name a single conservative activist in this entire thing, which is funny. Because think about who's actually having an effect on your everyday life, right? Even, even take me. Take me for an example, okay? I'm doing a conservative show for you, right? With who's currently in control of the state, what I say and what you believe and what your opinions are because of what you hear on this show has way more effect because you're talking to the people who are in power. You're their voters. Keep in mind, far leftists, they're never going to vote for Republicans, like ever. So a Republican has no concern about what they have to say, but they concern about what you have to say. If you're in your community, if you're a well-known member of your community, <coughs> you are more important as far as the actual outcomes of policy in this state than the loudest, farthest left activists that Kentucky has. But yet, despite that, you didn't make the list. You didn't make it. But a lot of these liberal activists did. Let me uh, let me give you some examples here, okay? Let me, let me show you what I mean. Now, a single conservative activist, which is crazy, but here you go. There are two transgender people on the list. One is a Berea City Council and another that is running for Lexington City Council, two very liberal cities where their mentally ill problems, their mentally ill presence won't make an actual relative difference at all. I mean, take a look at Lexington, for example. If uh, the guy who goes by the name of Emmett Curtis actually wins city council in Lexington, very possible. I mean, Obviously, the city of Lexington is very far left and hates themselves just enough to say, yeah, I want a person who doesn't actually know what gender they specifically are and is, is mentally ill running the city. That does seem like something they would do. Um, but anyways, putting that to the side, is the direction of those cities going to greatly change? I mean, it's, it's, if you trade out one far left person for another far left person on those city councils, does that make a big difference? But that's not the only thing they point to. They don't just point to them to say, look at them, watch them because they're on city councils. No, they more specifically point at their quote unquote activism. One is in charge of banned conversion therapy, Kentucky, whatever that means. The other is on some leadership role with the Democrats. And perhaps you say, well, Andrew, 
Andrew, it's just because they're elected. I mean, yeah, I, I get it. They talked about their activism, but you'd be wrong because they also uh, profiled Hadley Duvall, the college student who Bashir used in his ads. You know, the ads where uh, a child who was the victim of absolutely trash, horrible parents that had a miscarriage then goes on to blame Cameron for that. Like I said, this has a very leftist bent to it. I mean, another person they profiled was this person, I guess it's a woman who runs a mutual aid fund in Eastern Kentucky. Great. You run a donation based program helping others. But what does that have to do with the entire state? I mean, there's a lot of people out there running mutual aid type groups and donation types groups. And this one's not even necessarily particularly large. Yes, they've raised some money, but it's not like they're multi-million dollar aid group. So why did they focus on this person and, and profiling them? Perhaps it has to do a lot with uh, the fact that this is the kind of person and the Eastern Kentucky Mutual Aid is the kind of group that puts out, I don't know, things like uh, this, queer literary hoedowns. That sounds awful. I have never once been to a hoedown and thought, you know what would make this better? Reading a book and people who don't know what gender they like to, to enjoy Congress with. I, that, that's, I, have, I have been to many a hoedowns. And I remember, I remember back in, I don't know, probably 2005, I was at a hoedown. And Billy Bob turned to me and Billy Bob said, you know what would make this great, Andrew? I said, what was that, Billy Bob? He said, what would really make this hoedown a little bit better is if we went ahead and threw some queers and some literary in here because I love nothing more than a book and a purple-haired freak at my hoedowns. That's what, I mean, <laughs> that's the kind of thing they're fording. You see that, okay? Perhaps that has more to do with it than anything else. I mean, they could have chose to profile people who are actually worth watching in 2024 because they will actually make a difference. People like, I don't know, take David Walls, for an example, leader of the Family Foundation in Lexington, by the way, where the Herald Leader is based out of. You'll know David Walls because he was up there and one of the heavy pushers of bills like Senate Bill 150 that banned a lot of this far left craziness. Somebody worth watching and will have more effect on your daily lives and more effect on the legislation passed and laws that come into effect that does live in Lexington or, or their group is based out of Lexington than any of these people ever will. I mean, if this is what qualifies to make the list, just have a viewpoint they agree with. Keep in mind, this was to watch, to watch. They will accomplish nothing different. They will have no effect on your lives because it's just the fact of the matter. Maybe in 2050 they do. Maybe over time they push it and you forget to push back and you give up and you don't keep fighting so they're able to gain ground. So maybe they do end up making a difference in the long run. But remember, this is 24 to watch in 24, claiming that they're going to have some great achievement in 24. If all you need to do is make the list, I mean, shoot, I can dye my dog hair purple and have it howl in a corner. Apparently, that's enough to make the list. I mean, it is literally more worthwhile to you and less of a waste of your time because at least my dog is adorable and cute to watch my... German Shepherd Husky mix that's white as snow, beautiful dog, not white as snow, tan, beautiful dog, sit in a corner and howl because at least she's adorable compared to watching people like, like this woman, again, 
and 24 accomplish nothing of great merit or value to your individual lives. Not to downplay some of the good things that I'm sure some of these people have done in their lives. I'm sure they've held doors open for somebody at one time. I'm sure, you know, like the purple haired mutual aid person, I'm sure they at one point have helped people out that don't agree with them too. And that's great. But the assignment was 24 to watch in 24. And there's nothing worthwhile to watch about most of these people in 2024. Coming up after this, we'll be discussing um, some of the homeless encampment stuff in that Safer Kentucky Act. Well, that after this short break, you're listening to The Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Conservative. Constitutional. It's The Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And you are back with the Andrew Cooper Writer Show here in this final segment. We've had a whirlwind today, I tell you. I've gone over some bills at the beginning of this. So if you're just now tuning in on WZXI, hey, make sure you're tuning in every day at 9 a.m. right here on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. We also went over, of course, uh, the Herald Leaders 24 to watch in 24 and how Really, it's 24 not to watch in 24, almost basically. That's, that's basically a list, the 24 most useless people in 24. But then also, today, in the final segment, we'll be going over this part of Safer Kentucky's Act that deals with outlawing street camping. And recently, the uh, Louisville Public Media, the, you know, group that is supposed to be you know, free of, I guess, bias, publicly funded, not really free of bias at all, uh, put out an article talking about experts speaking out on this bill, taking aim at these homeless encampments. And so I wanted to go through some of the highlights of this article to kind of talk about some of these aspects, because I think homelessness is one of those issues that is, quote unquote, simple to solve, but hard to do. And what do I mean by that is, is it's simple in the sense of, hey, you need to get people, you can't be on the street. If you're on drugs, you're in treatment. If you're having mental issues, get you into mental health treatment. Otherwise, provide enough services to you to get a job. And a lot of that's through free, uh, not free, but non-government funded entities, but entities that work out of benevolent action, that's what I'm for, to help you get a job and get you employed, deal with the problem. However, people want to complicate this issue. They want to say, look, there's a myriad of aspects. There's really not. It's just that you see somebody, you know, people have a hard time comprehending people who have other viewpoints than themselves. You know, when you're looking at somebody making a decision or doing something that you yourself maybe uh, don't as much agree with, right? You may sit there and, and struggle to comprehend how they have ended up where they are. We, we see this on the the politics on a worldwide level all the time. People just not understanding that, you know, for example, these countries in the Middle East, they don't have the same values as you as I. They don't believe in the same things as you and I. They don't want to, you know, to them, they, they, there's women in Middle Eastern countries that don't want to be free. And that's what they want. And you trying to force it down their throat isn't making a difference in the same way. There are people who are homeless that want to be homeless. But the problem is, is that their existence is naturally, in that case, that just want to be homeless, is encroaching on the 
property rights of other people or this public property that they're now not funding into or private property like your own home. And, but that's a hard conversation. People don't want to talk about those things. Very difficult, very difficult. But uh, there is some bills taking aims at saying, look, here's the deal. Either A, you're going to uh, get your butt off the street and we're going to help you do it. Or B, you're not going to be welcomed around here. Which honestly is the fairest thing in the world. I mean, it's cold outside right now. You know it. I know it. You look around, you see the snow. How at all is it the right thing to do? to allow individuals to stay out there in this. How's that, how's that the, the, the good thing to do? And you say, well, you offer homeless shelters and warming camps. What if they refuse? You gonna force them? We're going to allow them to stay out there in this kind of weather? I'd say not. I don't think that's loving everyone, do you? But regardless, so in this article, they talk about how currently homeless camps are already routinely removed in Louisville. Apparently a legal fellow with the ACLU of Kentucky called Kevin Munich, M-U-E-N-C-H, hmm. who studies such encampments that we, we have people who study these encampments. Is that like a real thing? You think that's like a course in college? Like, do you think like you go to college and they're like, what course would you like to take? You're like, I would like a degree in homeless encampments, please. I mean, the fact that that is such a study thing shows you, like I said, this isn't hard. It's it, the, the solution is simple. It's just hard to do. You don't need to study it in great in depth. You either have people who are mentally ill, addicted to drugs, and that's pretty much it. The people who experience long-term homelessness, they fall into those two categories. Those two things are what needs to be addressed. You don't really need to study it. But anyways, <coughs> apparently studies them said that when the city moves in to clear them out, clear out people at these homeless encampments, People can lose all of their possessions, including documents, family photos, and medical device, medical devices, medical devices. Interesting. They talking about oxygen tanks. That's not good. Anyways, uh, including documents, family photos, and medical devices. So when they're coming out to, to take care of these camps, they're saying, look, you know, it's not good. People can lose things, but here's the deal. It sucks. I hear you. But at the same time, like, you are doing, you're encroaching. If, if the expectation is clear, you cannot be here. You cannot continue to encroach on the property rights of the public and the individuals. And you make that clear. Well, if they're choosing to be there, they're choosing to be there. Do, do they have plenty of shelter opportunities open to them? As, as long as they do, and according to this bill, that's a big part of it. Then, well, there you go. Go to the shelters. Be where you're supposed to be. In a way, I mean, you're, people imagine saying that because people are encroaching on property rights of the public or individuals, then it's their fault. It's it's the public's fault. They shouldn't move them because that could cause them some discomfort or or some sort of I don't know. They're disorganizing their possessions so they could lose it behind, and so it could could hurt them in that way. I mean, it, it's like saying, look. We have the same issue here at the legal immigrant. You can't remove them. It could be bad for them. Well, they shouldn't be doing this in the first place. Especially if you have, <coughs> you know, all these services and places for them to go already set up to them. Now, one of the people who say you shouldn't be dealing with this issue in this way have said, uh, they said this. They said, we have some real service deserts across the state. This is uh, a bush. Anyways, we have some real service deserts across the state. Not every county has a shelter. Not every town 
as a shelter. My concern is with the language as it's currently drafted, people who don't even have a shelter in their community to go to would be in violation of this law. Well, that's simple to address, right? Let's just set up a busing or something to get them over to the shelter. If the shelter's in the county, next one over. But how many homeless people really can exist in one county? I know there's there's parts of Garrett County there that people are looking at putting up a, a homeless shelter there. And I, I could be mistaken, but I think they're saying like only like 12 to 15 beds is what they're looking at putting in there. I mean, how many homeless people could there be in a community that doesn't currently have that? If we're talking 12 to 15, it's, you know, hey, that's that's a, a, a van. What's going to move out and around to where they need to be at? And people say, well, no, that's the area they want to be in. Why? You have no home. You have no job. Apparently, you don't have any family that loves you enough in the area to bring you in. Nobody in the area cares enough about you to bring you in to their home. Or you've burned the bridges, right? And honestly, from the aspect of drug treatment, it's kind of better to take them out of that community that if they're addicted to drugs, they got addicted to drugs in. Why would you want to stay in that area? I mean, how, how good is the family? You say, well, it's a family in the area. How good's the family? They're not letting you in. Anyways, another reason uh, they take issue with this is the proposal would also add unlawful camping to Kentucky's stand your ground, stand your ground law saying property owners have the right to use force if they ask a person illegally camping to leave and that person responds with force or threatens to use force. They say, arguably, this is already covered under Kentucky law, which already allows one to protect one's assaults from assault on one's property. What they said is, is the people who are against this, uh, according to the article, this is Representative Nima Kulkarni, Kulkarni who's a Democrat from Louisville, she says, what really concerns me about this is it encourages vigilante behavior. That's right. You're now a vigilante. Defending your own property makes you now a vigilante, according to Nima Kolkarni. Representative Kolkarni says, look, look. Yeah, are the people on your land that aren't supposed to be? Yes. Did they just threaten to use force against you? Absolutely. But you know what? If you do something about that, that's vigilanteism. They said also, this is another thing they said, is that you're also going to have individuals with mental illness who, this is a really, what she says here, sorry, is a really huge like turnaround of words here, okay? So she says, you're going to also have individuals with mental illness with communication disorders, individuals that don't speak English as a first language and aren't able to explain very quickly somebody who thinks they're doing something wrong that they're not. So she's saying that it's not that uh, they're not going to be able to hear from the person saying, hey, you can't be here and understand that. No, she's saying that they won't be able to explain the person trying to use force against them. Well, they won't be able to uh, uh, explain to them that, no, 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 I can be here. What? It, the, the bill's about strengthening on your property. Do, does the person who they're talking to not know where their property is? Of course, I guess, you know, for Democrats who don't even think personal property is important, yeah, I guess that would be something they would think. Well, y'all, that's what we got time for today here on the Andrew Cooper Show. We'll be back here tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day. Try to stay warm.